0: This season of On the Contrary is supported by Edelgiv Foundation, an organization that works to support the growth of small to mid-sized nonprofits working at the grassroots in India. Edelgiv's mission is to transform communities by enabling leaders, organizations and the ecosystem of philanthropy as a whole. Over the last decade, the institution has invested billions of rupees in the Indian development sector and has been leading collaborative action towards building an independent, resilient civil society.
1: We must recognize that you cannot build a strong and swift surge response to a public health emergency when you do not have an efficient and equitable health system performing in the steady state.
2: I'd be very excited and uh, deeply committed to playing a role towards designing this new age healthcare where the mega trends of positive, healthy longevity, of prevention, of using science and technology towards that and equitable care are very much the foundations and the fundamentals and we move beyond this concept of you know public and private healthcare and we just move towards you know the individual at the middle and universal access to great care
0: hi I'm Rachita Vohra, and you're listening to On the Contrary by India Development Review, or IDR, a show featuring unlikely conversations on topics that affect our future. On this podcast, you're differing perspectives from leaders and experts, as they help us make sense of the most pressing issues of our time. Your host for the show is Arun Myra, a thought leader who has the unusual combination of having worked in the private sector, the social sector, as well as the government, where he was a member of India's Planning Commission. Here's your host, Arun Myra.
3: With the COVID pandemic, the past year and a half has revealed gaps in health infrastructure in most countries. In India, we've seen just how weak and ill-equipped our public health system is to meet the needs of our population. Well, there are many reasons for this, one of which is that over the years, Successive governments have underinvested in public health in India. But what we need is the opposite. We need large investments. So today we're going to talk about India's public health system, where the greatest needs are, and what the role of private players ought to be. Our first guest is Dr. Srinath Reddy, one of the leading voices on India's public health. Dr. Reddy is the President of Public Health Foundation of India, PHFI, and presently serves as the adjunct professor at the Harvard School of Public Health, as well as the Rowland School of Public Health at Emory University. He is also the first Indian to be elected to the National Academy of Medicine in the United States. Our second guest is Dr. Sangeeta Reddy, joint managing director of one of Asia's largest healthcare groups, Apollo Hospitals. Sangeeta also heads Apollo Philanthropy and Apollo Reach, which aims to build a string of secondary care hospitals in rural areas across India. She is a member of the World Economic Forum and a former president of FICI and she sits on the Government of India's Technology Development Board. Welcome to the show, Srinath and Sangeeta. It's great to have you here. So let me start with you, Srinath. What are the largest gaps in the public health infrastructure and services in
1: India? Well, if we start with the that we need an efficient and equitable health system, which is well equipped to deal with a variety of health needs of the people, then we do need to reinforce our health system capacity and performance at primary, secondary and tertiary care levels all through because weaknesses exist at each level. Particularly when we recognize that primary care is the absolute base on which such a health system must rest, uh, while rural primary health care has had a design right from the beginning, it has been very poorly resourced and as a result has dwindled in its presence and decayed in performance. And secondary health care too, at the level of the district hospitals, has not really risen to the level of expectations, again, because of poor resourcing and poor management. Tertiary care in metropolitan areas has largely centered around in the public sector, around medical college hospitals. And the private sector has grown over the last 30 years to a substantial presence. But again, it's not very well distributed across the country. We find that there are many parts of the country, especially the second tier and third tier towns and cities, which do not have adequate private sector presence either. And we definitely need to invest much more in our district hospitals across the country. There are some states which are better off than others. The southern states are reasonably well equipped. Uh, not so the central and the north Indian states, bar a few exceptions. And uh, northeast too has suffered a great deal of neglect and we need to correct these regional imbalances substantially. but. Everywhere, we are finding also a great shortage of health workforce. Mere infrastructure strengthening is not going to help. Unless we bring in the right kind of workforce, a multi-layered, multi-skilled health workforce, uh, we will not be able to really respond adequately. And that is where we can take the aid of technology and we should as well. But technology alone will not substitute for the presence of a health workforce. And secondly, we must recognize that you cannot build a strong and swift surge response to a public health emergency when you do not have an efficient and equitable health system performing in the steady state.
3: Thank you, Srinath, for painting the picture so clearly and pointing out that the gaps are almost everywhere in the health system. In India, there are some pockets of excellence, for instance, the private hospitals in the metros perhaps, But everywhere else, it seems that there are large weaknesses to varying degrees. So we have to do a lot of things and very quickly. What in your mind would be the priority, Sangeeta? What should be paid most attention to in the next year or two? And then after that, in the next three or four years, to build up something that we've neglected for many, many years?
2: So I think it's giving us a chance to really rethink and relook at the entire healthcare scenario. If we try and play catch up in terms of number of beds, number of qualified doctors, etc., it will get us a 20-30% improvement in our current position. We must first recognise that India has this triple burden of disease. The unfinished agenda of infectious disease, which still persists, The challenge of non-communicable disease, the NCDs, contributing to about 60% of deaths, which are primarily linked with lifestyle and are very centered around the individual, not just the patient, but the individual, even before he or she becomes a patient. And then the emergence of new pathogens causing epidemics and pandemics. And I completely agree with everything that Dr. Srinath Reddy said in terms of greater allocation of budget, you know, greater equitable approach But now moving to the next level of what we need to do, the first thing I would say is that we must conceive a healthcare system which is designed around the individual and where public and private. We don't create this artificial divide because I see patients or individuals who know how to consult a doctor in the private sector, take their medicines in the public sector because it's cheaper and you get that free there, come back to this private sector doctor And sometimes they're high-end tests or if they're in a major problem, come back to the private. The second one is to reimagine the entire aspect of the location of care. Again, a great lesson in the pandemic is the telehealth and the way it grew. So people from the comfort or the convenience of their home can get a doctor's opinion. So using the considerable teledensity in our country and the fairly well-evolved technologies which are available... I would make telemedicine ubiquitous, pervasive, and understand that home care has a great dimension. Telehealth has a great dimension. And of course, we do need to increase the number of beds, uh, the number of beds in rural India, as well as the lab and the diagnostic testing. So all these recognized and identified gaps across public and private sector designed in a network where there is a methodology of acceptable payment and reimbursement so that the individual or the customer can choose and use their insurance policy to go to any of these. And then I think the final dimension is really the technology to enable this appropriately. And I genuinely believe that we are under-investing in research and innovation. So a combination of these and at the core of this, is really that we have to increase our budgetary allocation to healthcare. At 1.9% of GDP with the proposed 2.2%, it is still not enough. The out-of-pocket spending is still very high. Uh, Health remains the second cause of indebtedness in our country. Possibly in this last one year, it may have become the first cause because of the pandemic. So the ability to really innovate in the speed and the scale at which we bring Universal health insurance, new cures, enhanced infrastructure, and innovation would really be my topics.
3: Thank you, Sangeeta. Srinath laid out all the gaps, and you have now pointed solutions to almost all of them. And you mentioned specifically about the insufficient spending on health in India, which reminds me of conversations we used to have when I was at the Planning Commission around the same time that Srinath was leading a committee for a health plan for India. Back then too, it came down to how much we are spending. And the example of the United States kept coming up, which spends the most on healthcare in the world, and yet has the least equitable system amongst the developed countries. So it's not a matter again, as I say, of about how much you spend, but what you spend on, and also who is doing the spending, because if the private sector does it, then it expects a return on its spending. If it's government money, then they don't expect a return and therefore can provide subsidized services. So we must rethink how we go about improving equitable, accessible healthcare in the country.
1: Clearly, we do need more public financing of health. There's no doubt about it. And as you rightly pointed out, you also need both allocative and utilization efficiencies for the money that's being spent. And that is something that we must really bring into our financial planning as well as our health system management. I believe that we do need definitely more front-end spending in order to improve our infrastructure, including the equipment, but also expand our health workforce so that they can Appropriately and adequately utilize the increased allocations for health in the regular budgets. Without that front end spending, it will not have the absorptive capacity. And particularly in primary health care. As an example, urban primary health care. While rural primary health care at least had a design, even if underfinanced and underperforming, urban primary health care virtually hasn't even had a design in most places, bar a few municipalities. And that has cost us dear in this pandemic, where cities bore the brunt of the pandemic initially. You need urban primary health care as well, and that's been terribly, terribly neglected. So you do need to fund much more of the public system. Now, I do not believe that private contributory insurance is going to be the solution. It has to be predominantly tax-funded. Private sector can be part of the provision. There is no reason why the Public sector of the state or the government should be the sole provider, but it should be the guarantor of services. Like in the NHS, NHS the GPs are all private, but they're all under a system established by the government and governed by the NHS trust, financed by the public exchequer. Similarly, in Japan, publicly financed, but delivered through the private sector through a very carefully designed and regulated system. So, We have evolved a mixed health system by default and not by design. We can't wish it away. So let us try and make the best use of it in a well-framed partnership for public purpose. I would like to discard the term PPP as public-private partnership. I would like to emphasize it as a partnership for public purpose. Define the public purpose, define the deliverables, define the accountability mechanisms and bring it in. But that will not again happen unless the public sector itself is strong enough to set both the cost and quality standards. Otherwise, you leave the field open to a poorly regulated private sector, then you lose all your efficiency gains.
3: At this point, we'll take a small break and we'll hear more from our guests on the other side.
4: Ever wondered what a day in the life of a ward worker at a government hospital might look like during a pandemic? What about a day in the life of a trans rights activist who fights daily against the prejudice faced by trans, hijra and intersex communities in Goa? Or a day in the life of a relief worker from the missing tribe based in Majuli Assam, the world's largest river island? Through IDR's feature series called A Day in the Life Of... We share the stories of everyday people across the length and breadth of the country, doing everything from teaching children with disabilities to volunteering at the farmers' protests. With this series, get a glimpse into what it might feel like to walk a day in the shoes of people who lead very different lives from yours. You can check out A Day in the Life of on www.idronline.org. And now, back to On the Contrary.
3: Sangeeta, what are your views on the role of the public sector and the role of the private sector when it comes to healthcare delivery? And what aspects of the health system do we need to strengthen? And what are our priorities?
2: One of the factors, and you know, in many pockets, the government did a tremendous job. But in wave two, which was devastating, the fact that our death rates remained at 1.5% a lot of credit goes to the private sector but not even to the large hospitals i mean apollo was treating over 2000 beds we had but you know we had 25000 people in home care being treated using teleconsults but the biggest credit i would give during wave 2 was to the small nursing homes the 50 bed you know 100 bed smaller facilities who now understood the protocols who were not too scared who converted two or three beds into ICU, who knew when to escalate the patient to a higher center. So let me just say that 10 crore uh, families or 50 crore people who have access to Ayushman Bharat have a passport to health. This passport enables them to go to a public or a private setting. The reimbursement of the technology enables that there is a fair reimbursement of charges But also importantly, that we're beginning to track the health data of these people. What is the health consuming pattern? We start putting triggers for people with uh, high cardiac risks. We start putting in programs of screening, because if you do a mammogram and catch a breast cancer in stage one, you will not just save so much suffering and potentially save a life, but you will save significant costs for the public health system. So, this reimagining of healthcare and primary healthcare being not just the small centers, but being the fact that we create disease surveillance and disease prevention across the ecosystem, where I'm repeating once again public and private participate in predefined formulas. Insurance takes this longer term view. So, I'm a great believer in a multi pronged prevention first, public private together consumer at the centre, and reimagining with a technology base. So I'm not going to say you should box private healthcare in any one segment of care. I believe that in the right framework, they are the solution to partner with the country and with the citizen for universal health access.
3: Absolutely. I'm glad that you're pointing us in the direction of a framework for public health delivery. Clearly public and private, need to work together at multiple levels. But somebody has to orchestrate this collaboration and get everyone to play their appropriate parts. Maybe this has been the missing competence in Indian policy so far. How
1: do we solve this, Srinath? Well, I think we do require a vision first to which everybody subscribes and then a fair amount of decentralized planning and implementation. Even in the pandemic, I used to say that policy should be decided at the central level in consultation with the states. The planning should be done at the state capital level, but very flexible implementation should be done at the district and sub-district level. What we need is data-driven, decentralized decision-making and people-partnered public health, which means you do engage citizen networks, you do engage community-based organizations in a big way, bring them in. And that was required even in the pandemic, whether it was ensuring adherence to masks or whether now building up vaccine confidence, you need that element very strongly. These are the goals that we set for ourselves in terms of health, right from the social determinants of health to the actual healthcare delivery systems. And in order to make that happen, along with local innovations, we'll adopt this particular framework where we'll continue to strengthen the public sector, bring in the private sector in a carefully well-regulated manner, but bring them in for appropriate supplementary supportive uh, functions. And where they can take the lead, let them take the lead, but where the government will actually hold them accountable for the performance as well. Otherwise, we'll continue to have very fragmented systems across the country. And we do need portability. We can't have each state running its own health insurance program because we are going to have a very mobile population. And a person being born somewhere, educated in another state and being employed in a third state requires that assurance that wherever they travel in India, every Indian will have that protection.
2: I want to add one more dimension to this conversation. Because in an environment of non-communicable disease, and this would be one of the recommendations that we should bring together as a group, but I also think that the government has seen this vision, uh, is that at the center of healthcare is not the hospital. At the center of healthcare is no longer the doctor. At the center of healthcare is the individual. And so for the last many years, we have been working on what we call the personal health record. So if you begin to collate all the care that an individual is having from vaccination to surgery to, you know, their risk factors for cardiac disease, and you begin to apply technology to integrate as well as AI models to predict and prevent, the primary health care with the individual at the middle and the personal health record is going to be another transformational step in India's journey towards universal health access. First, we reimagine healthcare. We put the individual in the center. We combine public and private in a manner or a framework which is technology-enabled, ethical and transparent, and that we're all working towards a common cause in a predefined framework. And this predefined framework talks of many aspects of prevention, of care pathways, of antibiotic safety, of ensuring vaccination. There are a range of things which can come and this can be implemented effectively by a public or a private player because it's been designed collectively with the individual's interest at heart. And everyone ultimately becomes an implementer of a larger vision of universal access, good healthcare, quality healthcare, appropriate healthcare. And this is possible. And I'd be very excited and deeply committed to playing a role towards designing this new age healthcare where the mega trends of positive, healthy longevity, of prevention, of using science and technology towards that and equitable care are very much the foundations and the fundamentals. And we move beyond this concept of, you know, public and private healthcare. And we just move towards the individual at the middle and universal access to great care. Uh,
1: Two points. Firstly... While I believe that the private sector has considerable value to offer, we must recognize the limitations as well. Secondly, even when the private sector has been allocated 25% of the vaccines by the government, we find the utilization barring few large hospital chains in big cities. The private sector has not been able to deliver those vaccines in small towns and villages. That again shows the difficulty of the private sector providing equitable services across the country. I'm not talking about what Sangeeta said about her own institution. There may be an exception. But by and large, you do not find a strong private sector presence by preference in the smaller towns and in the villages, in the organized private sector. Second thing is I completely agree with Sangeeta when she says that we must pray Much greater attention to health promotion and disease prevention. But where I would like to slightly diverge is when the entire responsibility is being put on the individual. Even if the individual is being assessed for health and disease status, much of the behavioral components of non communicable diseases are driven by other factors, by social, environmental, and commercial factors. For example, It's not always a matter of individual choice. Choice can be conscious, conditioned, or constrained. Conscious because of the right knowledge or the wrong information. So you need health information to be provided, the correct information, whether about the type of foods or about tobacco or whether you wear masks or not. Second is conditioned. Conditioned by aggressive commercial marketing of products which are unhealthy, tobacco, alcohol, ultra-processed foods. Third, constraint. You may be counseled that you must have five helpings of fruit and vegetables every day, but if your pocket can't afford them, if you can't afford to buy healthy edible oils, but can only afford for your family hydrogenated cheaper oils, then all the knowledge in the world is not going to help you. So I think what we need is while we are ensuring that the individual's health is being measured protected and fostered, we ought to really act upon the social, economic, environmental and commercial determinants of health collectively as a society to make it possible for individuals to make and maintain healthy choices over a lifetime.
3: I think through this conversation, we have been able to touch upon a number of gaps and solutions within a healthcare system in India. The pandemic has pointed out the weaknesses, especially in serving the poorest of Indians. So any solutions we pursue must meet their healthcare needs and first. There is a role for the private sector in tertiary care, disease surveillance, cutting edge research and leveraging technology, but we need a strong public health system first. And importantly, we need a decentralized health system in which the different players can collaborate effectively at various levels. We must not waste this COVID crisis. We have an opportunity to fix how healthcare is delivered to the people of India. So thank you both very much for this very thought-provoking and insightful discussion today. Thank you.
0: On the Contrary is produced by Shreya Adhikari, Smanita Shetty, and me, Rachita Vohra. This episode was hosted by Arun Myra for IDR. Production by Made in India. IDR is an online journal that publishes cutting-edge ideas, lessons, and insights written by and for the people working on some of India's toughest problems. You can check us out at idronline.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you like our show... Please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can find out about us. You can also email us on write to us at idronline.org.